This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Terawan Saranai and the blessings of the Triple Gem be with you as always. Welcome to this series of programs in which we've been recently talking about the six perfections pursued by a bodhisattva while developing the mind of bodhicitta. A bodhicitta is the driving force behind all the bodhisattva's actions and is defined as the mind that wishes to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all sentient beings. We've gone through the first two perfections, generosity and morality, and now considering patience, the antidote to anger. As you may remember from our last program, we define patience in three ways. It is the mind that's not moved by harm from others, it endures any suffering voluntarily, and it always focuses on the Dharma. And then we went through the disadvantages of anger and the advantages of patience. Briefly, anger brings us nothing but suffering now and in the future. It destroys all our happiness and peace, ruins our health, destroys our wealth, and alienates us from others. It also reduces the merit we've accumulated over a long time. In fact, anger motivated by hatred or aversion has no redeeming qualities at all, and many of the great teachers say it is our very worst enemy. If we want to fight an enemy, then the best one to take on is our own anger, because if we can defeat that, nothing will be able to harm us. Even great torture won't make us lose our peace of mind. Like some of the great Tibetan masters, who were routinely tortured in communist jails for many years, but used the experience to practice patience. They eventually came out without much mental damage, even though their bodies bore the marks of having suffered a lot. In effect, they won, because the communists couldn't break them. The masters kept their faith and didn't compromise with hatred, but instead practiced patience and compassion for their torturers. The torturers lost, because they didn't achieve what they wanted, the submission of the prisoners, and because in the future they will suffer terribly themselves for putting people through such agony. But the Tibetans are a particularly hardy people. The environment they live in is harsh and uncompromising. So, in a sense, they have a background of survival in tough places. I certainly don't think I would be able to practice like they did, and still do, in the horrors of a communist prison. How about you? Now, I might be talking about anger as our greatest enemy, but I can't say I'm free of it from by any means. I wish I was, but the truth is that from time to time it gets the better of me, and sometimes it's quite strong. Still, it's impossible to just switch it off quickly, and we have to practice patience but little by little, slowly letting our patient mind overtake our angry reactions. Eventually it will succeed. As we discussed last time, it helps to remember that we wouldn't be able to exist without other beings. Everything that we enjoy depends on the efforts and sufferings of others. The food we eat, the clothes we wear, our houses, we can find nothing that comes without the input of others. Even our enlightenment depends on others. We couldn't practice the six perfections, all love and compassion, if no other beings existed. So how could we become enlightened? Imagine what it would be like being the only living creature in the whole universe. None others, not even a flea. How long would you or I survive? Not too long, I wouldn't think. So if we get angry at others, we're just getting angry at the cause for all our enjoyment 
and our eventual enlightenment. It's like turning away from our long-term happiness and embracing ongoing suffering. The Buddha loves all beings equally and wishes all beings to be free of suffering equally. A Buddha is never angry at some and friendly with others. So if we want to become Buddhas, we need to train ourselves and develop patience to be like that. We also have to remember it is the nature of deluded beings to act badly. If someone harms us, it's not their fault as such. Because of their conditioning, they have developed a certain viewpoint that steers them in a certain direction, whether they want to go in that direction or not. Well, think of the times you get angry. Do you want to get angry? Would you seriously ask to get angry at someone else, knowing that it upsets you and it upsets them? But anger still arises, whether we wanted it to or not. That is due to our conditioning, the way we've assumed a view of things, and when that view appears threatened, we react aggressively. It's the same with others. Due to their conditioning, anger or other delusions arise without their wanting the delusions to come. So why should we blame the person when it's the invasion of delusion that is causing all the problems? Better to become angry at the delusion, the anger, and to overcome that rather than beat the other person up. Geshe Lodin in his book The Path to Liberation in Tibetan Buddhism says, In the world there is no end to fighting amongst enemies. But in the case of your main enemy, the delusions, by applying the opponent strongly and consistently, you can overcome these insidious demons completely. From that point on, there is no enemy that can harm you. Without controlling the delusions, however, there is no way to put an end to suffering or even to gain the happiness of higher rebirths. To successfully overcome all harm, you must consistently and strongly apply the heat of the opponents to the pot filled with the water of delusion. Step by step, the delusions will completely evaporate, especially a great evil of anger. Without removing anger, your bodhicitta is meaningless. Therefore, you must put effort into becoming thoroughly familiar with a mind of patience. So now, before we go on, let's set our motivation for this program today. As last week, seeing as we are talking about bodhicitta, let's set that as our motivation, thinking that we are participating so that we can eventually become enlightened to be the greatest benefit, both temporal and ultimate, to all living beings everywhere. If that's too large for you, please motivate at least for your own enlightenment. Thank you. Now we've talked about the threefold nature of patience, the mind that is indifferent to the harm inflicted by others, the mind that patiently endures suffering, and the mind that is focused on the Dharma. Let's look a bit at these a bit more closely, starting with a mind that stays indifferent to the harm caused by others. Basically, this is being able to take harm from others without angrily striking back. Often, as soon as others say or do anything we regard as threatening or harmful, we leap to our own defense and try to harm them instead. But actually, people who set out to harm others by word or deed are like children who try to play with a poisonous snake, not knowing how much harm the snake can cause them. When we harm others from a karmic point of view, we are creating much more suffering for ourselves than we are for our victims. 
When I was eating in a local restaurant in McLeod Gange one day, a European woman and her Tibetan friend sat down at a table beside me. They carried on a desultory kind of conversation, but as I was leaving, I heard the woman say, Sometimes, just for fun, I do things to annoy other people. This was at the seat of His Holiness the Dalai Lama, who is the most compassionate person in the world, a place also where many highly realized beings with unbounded compassion live, and I was astonished that she could understand so little of the place and what it meant. She obviously had no idea what she was creating for herself, even by saying that and rejoicing in it. But it would not have been a good idea for me to get angry with her. It would just have made the situation worse. She was under the influence of delusion, so it is like she really didn't have any understanding of, she, of what she was doing, like a person who flails around in an epileptic fit and hits others. If we were hit by such a person, we would hardly think of hitting them back, now would we? Actually, we would probably tr try to prevent them from harming themselves more than anything else. So similarly, when someone gets angry or harms us, we can think of them as not being in their right mind. Instead of retaliating, we can look out for ways to help overcome the delusion driving them. That would be a much more compassionate way of dealing with a situation and, if effective, could lead them to eventually eliminating the cause for the upset. Of course, when the anger is gone, the person who lost it might feel very sheepish, realizing that they may have done or said things they later regret. Thus, with anger, we suffer right from the beginning. Actually, as I've pointed out in earlier programs, the best people to, to practice patience with are the people that harm us. It's very seldom that our friends give us the opportunity because they usually want to please us, so don't do things that will allow our anger to arise. Who does do such things? The person who wishes to harm us, of course. So, in fact, in terms of developing patience, the harm giver is essential, and instead of wanting to re retaliate, we can cultivate the mind of compassion and gratitude. <laughs> that is so easy to say, but it's very difficult to do, isn't it? How many people in this world really like you, and how many dislike you? I know that on some instinctual level, some people appear very attractive to me, and others I can well do without. And so I must assume that other people have a similar reaction towards me. And I certainly can't control the way that they perceive me. Of course, I can try my best to be helpful and kind to everyone I meet, but that still won't make everyone like me. Or take His Holiness the Dalai Lama, for instance. He's never done anything to foster war or division amongst people, even among the Tibetans and the Chinese. In fact, he constantly preaches harmony, compassion and patience, and acts with those qualities wherever he goes. He has many, many admirers, and yet he has many detractors as well, and not only the communists. Even some Westerners don't like him. When he was teaching in Sydney in 2008, a group constantly barracked him from outside the hall, yelling things like, Dalai Lama, don't lie, and such like. The thing is, no matter how many positive qualities we have, not everyone will like us. Even the Buddha, even Jesus Christ, didn't, didn't please everyone they met. So just by being born, we create enemies we have no control over. 
and even if we resolve our differences with one and make him our friend, another will soon enough take his place. However, if we train our mind in patience and don't return harm for harm, soon, no matter what others think of us, they will not be able to harm us, just as no one, even Devadatta, could harm the Buddha. Because we have no aggression on our minds and are always peaceful and calm towards others, their aggression will find no way of disturbing us. However, as I said before, this attitude is not at all easy to cultivate. We need to think deeply and often about the benefits of patience and the faults of anger, and to make a daily determination not to get angry until a strong impression is made on our mind. It is not much good listening to some monk on radio go on about not getting angry, and then think, now I know all about anger and patience, and I won't get irritated again. Because as you turn off the radio, a knock comes on the door, and there stands your irritating neighbor who always borrows things and never returns them. Immediately dislike and irritation pop up in your mind, and you may even scowl. Yes, what do you want this time? You say crossly. The afflictive emotions are very strong, and they don't tell us, Hey, I'm coming in a couple of minutes, get ready. They just arrive, like the annoying neighbor, and present themselves to us in full bloom. Then it's often not in our power to deal very effectively with them. We have to train our minds again and again to become familiar with patience and to avoid anger until we are at that stage that even the neighbor from hell can't faze us. In such a situation, we can view people who harm us or who are irritating as our helpers, almost as our teachers. Our reliance on them to help us achieve our purpose will also help change our attitude towards them, in the same way as St. Teresa of Lisieux served a disagreeable nun until even when the nun said nasty things to her, she shone with happiness. Actually, it strikes me that it must be amazing to be in the presence of someone who can do that someone who, no matter what the outer circumstances, remains peaceful, calm and joyful. It must be awe-inspiring. Even better, wouldn't it be great to be someone like that, whose mind is never miserable? As the first verse of Psalm 100 says, Truly lovely, calm and gentle is the peaceful eventide. Oh, that in my spirit always this same stillness might abide. Then would all this earthly turmoil like a dream soon pass away, and the blessed joy of heaven would delight my soul each day. If we could meditate for many hours a day, like the forest monks, we could maybe develop minds like that. But most of our lives are filled with daily activities and responsibilities that we, at the very least, use as excuses to not go into the forest. Is it possible then for us to change our minds so that they become truly lovely, calm and gentle? The answer to that is, of course, a definite yes. Even in our busy lives, we can slowly change our outlook so that we can become a little bit more peaceful every day. We, know, we may not become as peaceful as the Sri Lankan monk who shared his cave with a tiger, but we can become little islands of peace in the cities of stress. It all depends on how we condition our mind. If we look at someone harming us as our enemy, someone we don't like and want to be rid of, is our predominant feeling comfortable or not? I would say it's definitely uncomfortable. Who wants to be thinking of an enemy, never mind being in the presence of one? 
However, if we see the person who harms us as an ally in our work to enlightenment, that uncomfortable feeling will not come so easily. Instead, we will be happy to see that person even though they try to harm us. Also, as we've said before, if we realize that the person who harms us actually creates much more harm for themselves in the future, then instead of developing anger, we cannot help but feel compassion for them. We have to remember that none of us, not even the most harmful person, wants misery and doesn't want happiness. Why did Hitler kill so many Jews? Because he thought he would be getting rid of the cause of evil. In other words, the world would be a happier place without Jews. How can you hate such an unbelievably de deluded mind? It's so ridiculous. It is such obvious wrong thinking that it's like the belief in a of a complete madman. Of course, having compassion for him in his delusion doesn't mean that we condone his actions in any way or don't try to prevent them. But hating Hitler is like hating the per person in the mental asylum who believes his body is covered with spiders. Similarly, the person harming us under the control of their deluded minds is creating so much future suffering for themselves. Surely it would be very, very churlish of us to develop hatred and not compassion for them. They are creating the harm because they think it will in some way bring them satisfaction. But all it will bring them is pain, like the woman in MacLeod Gange. Another way of looking at harm from another is to see it as the ripening of one's own negative karma. The other person is not the originator of the harm. He or she is only the condition that makes the harm manifest. Because of the karmic part of the law of cause and effect, if we cause harm to others, we must expect harm to come back to us. So if we experience harm, it must be because we've created the cause for it in the past. But if we're experiencing suffering now through our previous negative deeds, once the experience is over, we would have cleared that negative karma and never have to experience it again. It is finished. So that is also something to be happy about. In fact, if that karma had ripened while we were in the hell realm, the suffering would be infinitely worse. Here, in this existence, it is relatively easy to bear, and that's another reason not to get angry with a harm giver. Say a man is beating you with a stick. If I asked you what was hurting you, you would have to truthfully say the stick, for the man is not touching you. However, our natural response would be to say the man is beating us because we ascribe a motivation to the man. The stick has no motivation to do anything, so in our minds we say the man is the harm giver even though the stick is leaving the welts on our skin. But what if the man is also not acting under his own free will, but under the control of the delusion of hatred? Can we go one step further and say that it is in fact the hatred that is the main culprit and not the man? The man, like the stick, is only an instrument in the hands of the delusion. The delusion wields the man who wields the stick. So if I am going to be angry, I should be angry at the delusion, not the man. Of course, we might say that the man has the choice to obey the delusion or not, and that is true. But how many times in your life have you made the choice to take the path that isn't paved with emotion? How many times have you taken the choice when strong anger is present not to give in to it at all and to practice patience? When powerful emotion arises, most of us aren't familiar enough with techniques to control it.
we quickly find ourselves overwhelmed and acting in ways we know are not right. So although we theoretically have a choice in every action we do, sometimes our conditioning is so strong that it is almost as if we don't have a choice. We're like puppets to our desire. When looking at our tormentor and seeing that this is the case for them, we can develop compassion and decide to work as much as we can against the real harm givers, the afflictive emotions. For they are the real enemies of beings and the destroyer of all our happiness. And if we react with patience, we are in fact using the very antidote that will eventually rid us of anger. Actually, by very definition, sentient beings are so naturally deluded, it's not at all surprising that others harm us. If I led three blind men to an elephant, one to the trunk, one to the tail, and the third to a leg, and let them feel, touch, and examine the elephant as much as they like before I asked them what an elephant is, which of them do you think would describe the elephant as you and I see it? Not one, I think. One would talk about an elephant being something that was long and lively, tapered, one e tapered at one end and disappearing to heaven at the other. The second blind man would say that it, that wasn't it at all. It is, he might say, a slightly hairy cylinder that becomes thicker near its top and that has semicircles of hard, smooth substances at the bottom. The third blind man would say both the others are mistaken. An elephant is two pillars, like the second one described, leading to a tassel. And an elephant, this blind man might say, is rather stinky. Which of the three are right? Of course, to their limited perception, each is, but none of them really describe an elephant, because none can see the whole thing. We are in a similar position in our interaction with others. People never see the whole picture in any situation. What they see is coloured by the conditioning, and so how can we expect everyone to be pleasant all the time? Not all people's conditioning is the same, and some will act according to heavy negative conditioning. This at least tells us to expect some harm from others. In the same way fire burns, beings are controlled by delusion, and so will inevitably harm one another. Again, the real cause of the harm is our negative karma, and losing sight of this and retaliating with harm will only lead us deeper into the mire of suffering and misery. It will never lead us away from suffering. Geshe Loden says it is much healthier to see the harm as being our own fault than to blame others, and therefore there is no need for anger. Some bodhisattvas actually pray to encounter difficult situations and harmful people because they know that with these they will have the opportunity to progress quickly along the spiritual path if they use them well. That is why some bodhisattvas will purposely live in busy, stressful places and associate with difficult people rather than go into peaceful retreat. Of course, in retreat we can practice patience with respect to poor food, heat or cold and twigs for a bed, but it's much more difficult to practice the patience that stays equanimous in the face of harm from others. However, we have to be careful. If we pray for difficulties before we're really ready to encounter them and they arise, we could just be making ourselves unhappy. It is better to practice first on the small difficulties we encounter when things are going comparatively well, so that when the big troubles arrive, we have some resilience to counter them with. If you get stuck in bed with a flu, do you get angry at the disease? 
If you don't, then why get angry with someone else who harms you? This is one of the arguments the great master Shantideva uses to persuade us against taking harm personally. He says that we don't usually get angry with inanimate objects that cause us grief. So why should we do so with animate objects? Both are under the control of causes and conditions, so both can be viewed with the same way. Of course, we, once again, view animate objects as having some sort of control and intention. But Shantideva says that their attitude and aggression arise not through their wish, but through the con collection of causes and conditions. We are not autonomous creatures, but are subject to various causes and conditions. This might be seen, for instance, in animals. Is a cat that stalks a mouse under the control of its own volition, or is it acting out of instinct? I think you'll agree that the cat doesn't think, Ah, there's a mouse. Now, should I catch it or not? Hmm, well, it's halfway between breakfast and dinner time, so I might just nab it and have a snack. Even if the cat is just eaten and a mouse runs across the room, the cat will be after it like a shot, without thought or hesitation. The cat at our centre would anyway. I've seen it happen. No thought, no pause, just see and go. Similarly, when people create harm, they don't purposely do it from a position of independence. Delusion and karma are the conditions that are the source of both harm and suffering, not the other person. When the delusion and karma arise in a situation, a person will need to have very strong control not to react without thought to their urging. As I said before, when anger or any other delusion arises, it doesn't tell us it's coming. The delusions just appear, whether we are ready or not, and just take over. So the person is not the bringer of harm, it is the delusion and the karma ripened by the delusion that causes the harm. The person, like the stick beating you, is under the control of other things. Now answer this one. When you are being beaten by a man with a stick, who exactly is being harmed? You could say, I am, but who is this I being walloped? Describe the I to me. Is it the body? Well, if we look at the body and how it's made up, we see that it's just a collection of parts, skin, flesh, bones, innards, teeth, hair, and so on, that have come together through causes and conditions, such as the father and mother's substances, food, drink, air, warmth, and so on. Is there any other independent body apart from this collection of parts, causes and conditions? This body is not an independent entity like the, uh, the eye appears to be, is it? Anyway, I say my body as though the body belongs to something else. It's not the own in itself. So the eye is not the body. Similarly, the mind is made up of parts, causes, conditions and is not the eye. Also, no eye exists if I take away the body and mind. Therefore, as I is not body, mind, or something other than body and mind, it is nothing more than just a label on a collection of causes, conditions, and parts. It is illusion-like, not existing inherently at all. Similarly, we can look at the person doing the harm and the act of patience and see that both of these and the I are all just labeled on a collection of causes, conditions, and parts and don't have independent inherent existence. Therefore, we have no reason to become agitated and retaliate to the other person. This last argument is a little difficult to follow, and if I've lost you, don't worry too much. But th please think about all the points we've raised today and try to apply them in your meditation and life, 
and we'll do some meditation on it in our next program. Now time is up. Please dedicate any positive energy from today's program, not only to your enlightenment, but that of all beings. Thank you for joining us today, and please do so again next week at the same time. All the best for a great week, and until next time, goodbye. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On the Air.